This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brat. Hey there, this is Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat. If you're the parent of a child who has an unhealthy relationship with the cell phone, video games, or other screen media, you are in good company. There are millions of parents who feel confused and out of control when it comes to managing their children's screen media use. Recreational screen time is quickly replacing family time, and parents are making the best decisions we can based on the information that we have. A lot of us who are trying to challenge the accepted reality that nothing can be done are looking for a new approach. And that's exactly what we're going to be trying to work towards in this part of today's show. And we're going to be taking an approach that doesn't blame parents, which is nice, and it doesn't vilify technology as a whole, because trying to vilify technology is just a completely useless thing to do. Instead, we're going to talk about easy and effective strategies that you can implement immediately. And to help us out with that is a psychotherapist who has more than 30 years of experience with kids, and most recently he's got a lot of experience working with screen-dependent kids. He's going to be giving us some tools for detecting the presence of an issue with our children's recreational screen media use. And perhaps more importantly, he's going to help us get that screen dependence under control. The result, hopefully, will restore a sense of care and connection within your family. We'll start talking about breaking free of screen dependence right after this. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brat, after this. From the MrTab.com radio network. Hands can do incredible things. This is the sound of 326 hands playing Mozart. This is the sound of 10,942 hands showing appreciation. 64 hands building a house for the homeless. 142 hands swimming a triathlon. 18 hands winning the big game. And this is the sound of two hands helping to save a life. It's called Hands Only CPR, and it's recommended by the American Heart Association. If an adult suddenly collapses, call 911, then push hard and fast in the center of their chest until help arrives. It's incredibly easy and effective. Hands can do incredible things. But nothing compares to using them to help save a life. Find out more about this latest method of CPR at handsonlycpr.org. A message from the American Heart Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat, and my guests for this part of today's show are George Lynn and Cynthia Johnson, who are the co-authors of Breaking the Trance, a practical guide for parenting in the screen-dependent child. George and Cynthia, thanks for joining us. Thank, Thank you. you. Let's start off with the word screen-dependent or the phrase screen-dependent. I, I use with my daughter, my 13-year-old, the, the word addict when I'm talking to her uh, and just telling her that with the things that she says about, oh, I can stop any time, I don't really need it, you know, the, the things that, that that's the vocabulary that addicts use, and she behaves like an addict. But you make a, a really clear distinction between addict and screen-dependent. Yes. Um, yeah, thank you, Armin. Um, that's a, uh, we would say that uh, screen media use, recreational screen media use, can really fit the definition of a, an addiction in its most severe form. However, we've written this book for 
a more moderate, uh, you know, issue. We're talking here in terms of screen use. This would be around eight hours a day. Uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics consider that considers that moderate use. And what we've seen uh, with regard to this is that uh, this kind of uh, use, unlike an addiction, uh, can be discontinued without the severe, you know, physiologic effects that are associated with with an addiction. Uh, and we also believe that the from our research and from uh, review of the literature, et cetera, and our the clients that I work with as a psychotherapist, that this is a practice that is pushed by the availability of screen media. So unlike other addictive states, um, if, this, if parents uh, you know, tell, tell children that they can't use screen media or that they put limits on screen media use at home, there will be a temporary you know, display, typically display of uh, aggression or depression or anxiety, but then within a day or two that will fade. And uh, there are some information, uh, some research provided by other authors that indicates that when people, uh, such as at a, uh, a media-free camp for kids, after uh, they're in a media-free camp environment, after four or five days, the children start talking with each other. So right. unlike the conventional right. you know, idea of the addiction, we, we just consider this mm -hmm wouldn't quite fit into that category right now. Right. No, I guess as you're saying that, I'm thinking, well, people are probably not going to start selling their property to buy more screens or you know, the kinds of things you right, hear about. Right, right. And addictive behavior is also pushed by shame. And we notice that, you know, the students that I work with daily don't have that shame around mm -hmm. uh, their Gaming. Yeah, there's very little shame in hiding because mm -hmm. it's it's not considered an addiction. And it's pervasive. Yes. Well, speaking of pervasive, um, <clears throat> I wanted to ask George specifically because you talk about in the introduction of the book about how when you first went into psychotherapy practice more than 30 years ago, kids were coming in and parents were coming in with their kids with, with problems, with trauma or something like that. And now you're saying that 80% of the children, teens and young adults, are coming in with some sort of screen dependence. And uh, clearly that's not going to be a representative sample of the whole rest of the of the population because you're seeing a rather self-selecting group anyway. But that's yes. a pretty b bold statement to make, that 80% of the kids you're seeing have to do with screen dependence. Yes. Yes, Armin. What we see, what I call that is a, yeah, it's a, a masquerade. In other words... Um, what I used to see uh, before the before this problem became so marked, and I'm not sure where that used you know where the right place to pinpoint that, but I'll just say in the last you know ten years or so, uh, before that time, uh, I would I've written books in the area of you know bipolar disorder in children, ADD in kids, autism, and I would see kids come in with frank uh, you know psychiatric issues pertaining to those things, and those are those are heavy burdens for children to carry. I was very motivated to help them, and I could. I found out that, uh, you know, using certain strategies, and uh, it was possible to help uh, children that came in with serious psychiatric diagnoses. Now what I see is uh, parents calling me and listing these diagnoses, but when I see the children, uh, they do not show the the they don't have the the verbal and nonverbal behavior that you would you know associate with a problem like this, uh, bipolar disorder or ADD. What I seem to be seeing is that the 
the practice of you know screen media overuse at home is actually creating a personality style that is then labeled by typically psychiatrists that don't understand what can happen with screen media use and they'll label it as a depressive depression yeah. or anxiety or this kind of thing. Cynthia, why don't you talk just a little bit about your perspective because you're coming at this as an educator and you're mm-hmm. seeing a different group of people than George is. Uh, how are you seeing the manifestations of screen dependence? I'm seeing it on a daily basis with my students. I have a tutoring practice um, where there is a, um, the students are typically having a huge issue uh, with school, either failing or lower grades. Um, school is, quote, boring, um, unquote. And um, students um, are not interested in school. They have a lower um, threshold for um, um, tolerance of school in any way. They have a very difficult time reading um, for pleasure, for sure. Um, and um, so those kinds of things. Okay. And I'm curious, I'll talk to George and both of you about this, but you talk about how kids are, are regressing also intellectually and emotionally and morally. And I remember reading something not long ago about very, very young kids. The pediatricians were starting to see that that their fine muscle control was uh, less than it was in previous years or previous decades, partly because they're swiping instead of actually picking up a block and putting it on top of another block. Uh, Correct. So what yeah. what kinds of things have you seen on the clinical side, George, for that talk about the, the negative effects of screen dependence? Yes. Well, you know, you're, in fact, we talk in the book, uh, Armin, about boys' weakness syndrome, which is a a term that uh, we've coined by, actually there's a person we're working with who is a a trainer that has observed this and helped us understand this principle that if kids, especially boy children, if they are not uh, exercising their bodies and dealing with, uh, you know, physical challenge, their bodies won't develop. The testosterone does not express the way it does in a normal, normally developing child. So we'll see that, that wan, you know, look. But aside from that, in terms of emotional uh, effects, what I see, very marked loss of social confidence. These kids are not out making new friends. They're afraid, in fact, to make phone calls. Uh, There's a uh, significant disorganization uh, that comes with this dependence. It's uh, evocative of a severe ADHD condition. Some of them actually can be depressed. Uh, there are memory issues that go along with the disorganization. Uh, they can be very moody. And on the extreme end of this, when I talked before about the masquerade, psychiatric masquerade, they start looking like children who would be formally diagnosed with a severe bipolar disorder. In other words, they have extreme problems with rage and anger at home. They will break things. Uh, they they go ballistic, uh, get very aggressive with their parents. Yeah. So. George, I'm curious yeah. about this. I mean, you're talking about a lot of different things and yeah. how this is showing up in a lot of areas. How can you possibly prove that? What, what well, sort of evidence are you relying on? I mean, I know you've got a lot of it in the book, but I want you to tell, tell our listeners about how you're, you're able to say that the kinds of things, the moodiness and the intellectual impairment and all this other stuff, actually is directly related to screen problems. Well, you know, there's, there, in terms of the research... Uh, the the uh, 
it would be hard, Armin, just straight across in any particular case to say this is definitely caused by screen media overuse. But what I notice is this. If, I, if a, a child comes in with, say, a serious problem with a, a social anxiety, he's just not getting out there. And um, if the child is on his screen media, the national average is around for middle school kids is around eight hours a day for a teenager, you know, 14 hours a day. If, if, if we have that amount of use, it's simply impossible to determine given that there is research that says that this practice will cause a fall off in, in social confidence, for example, it's impossible to determine if there really is a social confidence you know, problem in, uh, you know, right there. Talking with in George the, Lynn and Cynthia Johnson, who are the co-authors of Breaking the Trance, a practical guide for parenting the screen-dependent child. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to keep talking to George and Cynthia about screen dependence. Today's episode, Bobcat in the Cave. Oh, nuts! There's a bobcat in this cave! Save us, sassy! You will, but first you'd like to stress the importance of cat adoption? Over 5 million cats go into animal shelters every year and they need to be adopted? Help us, sassy! Why bother? We'll just get into more trouble tomorrow? Sassy is brought to you by the Ad Council and the ShelterPetProject.org. Remember, adopt. This heavyweight bout is about to begin. The challenger wears white trunks with a blue stripe, and the champ is wearing, uh, looks like an examination gown from the doctor's office. And from the back, we can... Ooh, that's not pretty. Champ, what's with the crazy getup? I've got to take care of my family. Yeah, so? Well, when you love your family, you got to go in and get those important medical screenings. A lot of potentially deadly diseases can be treated if you catch them in time. So you wear the examination gown because... Because I'm a real man. Real men take care of their families and get those tests. Real men wear gowns. Okay, champ, good luck. Here we go. <laughs> the champ's not wasting any time. <laughs> it's over. This fight is over. Champ, you barely broke a sweat. Any words for your fans out there? Remember, go to ahrq.gov for a list of the tests they need to get and when to get them. What was that web address again? ahrq.gov. And remember, real men wear gowns. Go to ahrq.gov. This message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AHRQ, and the Ad Council. Did you know 26 million Americans have kidney disease and most don't know it? The day I was diagnosed, I didn't know what to do. I called the National Kidney Foundation, and the young lady who answered stayed on the phone with me and walked me through step by step. She, too, was surviving kidney disease. She showed me there could be life after kidney disease. Visit the National Kidney Foundation at kidney.org. Now you know. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott. If you're just joining us, talking with George Lynn and Cynthia Johnson, the co-authors of Breaking the Trance, A Practical Guide for Parenting the Screen-Dependent Child. Uh, I want to go back to something that you said that I thought was very intriguing and very worrisome about testosterone and the problems with boys. Because I'm wondering if this is going to lead to, I mean, to, to have some serious problems about in the whole population about whether we're going to have effects on fertility or whether that's going to affect the gene pool. Uh, talking yeah. about the, with, with testosterone not being there, I mean, you're talking about boys who are not going to be masculine in the, the general sense of the word. Yes. Well, you know, uh, Armin, thank you, and we're familiar with your background also, your interest in fathering. Uh, 
I myself have in the past in the 90s wrote a column on fathering. Uh, the what we see is yes, there, there there's an obvious lack in terms of physical development. There can be a, a across the board, you know, gamer kids. If you see a whole bunch of especially boys at game more than anything else, there's not only will you see this this look of weakness. But there's an unwillingness, and when I talk about maturity and identity development, this is where, you know, what's it like to develop your identity as a male? Things like the willingness to do hard work, things like the willingness to accept a challenge, things like the willingness to make a phone call to, uh, you know, line up some time outside doing something with a friend. Uh, in fact, things like being interested in girls, I don't see that so much here with this population of boys. I don't see boys uh, wanting to get their driver's licenses uh, across the board. They'd rather have their parents drive them because it's just easier to get back to their rooms and play video games. Whatever, however you de define, you know, coming of age as a, a young man or a young woman, I see that this practice erodes that, you know, slows that down, slows down the development of personal and sexual identity. Well, this is pretty, pretty serious stuff here. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of laughing about it, but it's it's nothing to really laugh about. But one of the things you do, and I think is very nice, is that you say, you know, we're not going to get rid of this stuff. It's just not going to happen. I mean, there's so many pundits out there who will talk about we need to go back to a, a different age where kids played outside, right. and and clearly we're going to have to find another way forward. What is that way? How are we as parents going to help our kids grow up to be productive members of society if they don't want to make a phone call or get a driver's license? Okay. Well, the first thing to say is that, you know, the when we talk about this, it can feel overwhelming to, to talk about it in terms of, you know, making an enemy of recreational screen media. That is so not what we're trying to do in this book. What we're saying, Armin, is that in that critical time period, basically before the age of 18, 17 or 18, K through 12, uh, parents can uh, institute controls in their home so that, and we've, I've seen this time and time again, like two types of families here, families that do this and families that don't do it, they can institute controls in their home so that the kids orient to each other with care and, you know, uh, caring communication in the parents. Um, in that, you know, crucial time period. Um, there, there's all kinds of things that you can do. The American Academy of Pediatrics uh, starts with, you know, suggesting making sure the kids are don't use it any more than uh, two hours a day, with one hour of recreational screen media being optimum. Uh, they suggest that parents find out, you know, where their kids are in social media and what they're doing. They suggest that the parents enforce a, a, uh, a, a curfew in the evening you know, around screen media use because a big part of the damage we're talking about here and all the books that are coming out on this topic now talk about the damage done by, um, you know, sleep deprivation. So all these things, and there's and in the book we suggest sort of the full press, which is sitting down and talking about values in the family and starting this process. I mean, this this is a big part of, you know, instituting screen controls is sitting down with the kids and saying, okay, we're having dinner. We, you're all on your, your, your devices. This stops now. But, you know, talking about the kids, what's going on with that and what they want to see instead. So I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, but I'm saying within that, 
you know, bubble of growing up in a household, uh, it is possible to first understand what's going on here and, and second do something about it. With regard to understanding, I'll finish my rant here in just a second, we in the book provide a uh, instrument that's been developed by the Restart Center here. It's a rehab center um, in the Redmond, Washington area called the Bigs P, which gives parents the ability to assess and analyze, you know, how their parents relate to, or how their kids relate to screen media and to decide if it's a problem or not. Well, you know, right uh, there, George, let, let me just stop you there, and Cynthia, you can jump in on this too. How do we tell? I mean, I, you know, in some ways you can say, okay, clearly the kid's got spending a huge amount of time on this, but, you know, they can say, and they would be right, well, I'm texting my friends because we're talking about homework stuff or I'm actually doing something because so many kids these days have got their homework assignments and their projects and even their books sometimes online. So from the, the casual observer walking by can't always tell whether they're fooling around or they're actually doing something. So how can we as parents look at other factors or symptoms and say, okay, this is going over the line? Yes. Well, okay, again, there's two things, and I'm, I'm you know, looking at the American Academy of Pediatrics as my backboard here. They say that uh, the, a basic thing to look at, and we provide a form for this, just a simple form in the book, is the amount of time a kid spends online. And that's may, may not sound like rocket science, but that's really important because parents, uh, kids, once they get into this, will pull the wool over the eyes of their parents, and they really are up typically, you know, to 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, and maybe they have to get up for school at 7 o'clock. They're falling asleep in class. So anyway, the first assessment is how much time they're spending on online. The second assessment is what we provide with this Big P is what the quality uh, of their relationship to screen media is. And that instrument, the Big P, is derived from, you know, DSM criteria for uh, addictive things like, you know, addictive uh, issues like gambling addiction. So you, you, we encourage parents to, to be their own diagnosticians here and to look at it both ways. Then you come down to school. School, I mean, in the, in the book we have a chapter on how you differentiate learning disabilities from a string, you know, dependent issue. And I like that chapter because I can see why a kid would say, hey, I'm dyslexic or I'm ADHD or I'm, this, this is what, why I'm getting bad grades in school. So we think that there are ways to look at that in terms of if you institute a screen control plan and you get things in, under control at home and there's, uh, you, you know, kids have a certain routine and you know when they're doing their homework and you know when they're turning it in, then if you see bad grades and you, the teachers are telling you the kid is paying attention in class, if you see bad grades, you can say, okay, We've got some kind of a learning problem here that's, you know, specific to this child. However, if you see, as is in the case for like 90% of these kids, Armin, these kids are falling asleep in class in the morning. Right. They're not right. paying attention. They're on their devices in class. And from the perspective of the parents, I mean, th there's also something I think we need to talk about, which is that a lot of us are also on our devices quite a bit. And so there's a pot calling the kettle black thing when the parents start to say something. If, you know, I've had my, my daughter point this out to me that, you know, I, I do sometimes if I'm waiting in line or killing time in some way, which is a horrible expression. But, you know, I'll, I'll pull out my phone and, and check my email or do some trivia game or something like that. And so we're 
we're not always setting the best example. Yes, and that's so true, Armin. Thank you very much. Parents need to set the example. Kids are looking to them for the example. And the, uh, if you're standing in line and you pull out your cell phone, the problem with that is you're not letting that pause be there, you know, that moment of time. So you can re- it might be the kind of thing that you turn to your kid or turn to somebody else and relate to them. Uh, there's some, you know, positive thing that comes out of your interaction. You don't know what you're missing. Or when parents come home at night and get on their devices, really what we're talking about here is saying we're putting a different priority on the use of this sucker. You know, we're putting it in the pocket. You know, I'm out here with my kid. I'm not pulling it out. At night, I'm setting the example. You know, I'm limiting the amount of time that everybody even, you know, uh, spends looking at the boob tube, and we just kind of go like, what are we doing together here? You know, what's going on together? So, yes, the example has to start with parents. Absolutely. George Lynn and Cynthia Johnson are the co-authors of Breaking the Trance, a practical guide for parenting the screen-dependent child. George and Cynthia, thank you very much. Great to have you. Thank you, Armin. Dear Mom and Dad, one thing I've learned in the Army is that when you're lucky enough to get a little time off, you should put it to good use. So I'm taking a moment to write and tell you that I'm fine and doing well. We have good days and bad days over here. We try to remember the good ones and get through the bad ones as best we can. Mostly we have each other, and that's what keeps us going. That and the pride of our commitment to getting the job done, whatever it takes. I miss you all very much and can't wait to get back to life as usual. Please tell everybody hello for me and that I'll be home soon. And Mom, since you asked, if anyone wants to help, just tell them to contact the USO. You can't believe how much they do for us. With love, your son Michael. The USO depends on the generosity of the American people, people just like you. To find out how you can help, visit us at USO.org. The USO, until everyone comes home. Hey there, welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brunt, and it's time for a Parents at Play segment. Hey, are you looking for some new video games to play with the family as the weather cools down, or maybe something portable to get you through those inevitable incredibly long and annoying holiday travel delays? Well, here are some of our current favorites. Paper Mario Color Splash from Nintendo. This newest entry in the beloved Paper Mario series takes Mario to the formerly colorful Prism Island, where someone is draining the land of all its color and paint. As the hero we all know and love, Paper Mario comes along to save the day with his paint hammer, which splashes color on colorless portions of land and flowers and characters, houses, and even water. This game plays like the other games in the series, where combat is turn-based, but it also includes cards that describe what moves can be used next. The game is a blast to play for RPG fans or Mario fans in general, and if you're new to Paper Mario, this is a perfect place to start giving you an interactive role-playing experience that will help you paint-smash some dull areas of your own life. It's available only on the Nintendo Wii U. Retails for about 60 bucks. You can get more at Nintendo.com. Metroid Federation Force from Nintendo. Metroid is a longtime Nintendo fan favorite, but Nintendo created quite a bit of controversy when they developed Federation Force instead of continuing the Samus saga in the Metroid Prime universe. That said, Federation Force is an interesting spin on a familiar game setting, and characters 
This title picks up after the events in Metroid Prime 3 Corruption and follows the Federation Force in their pursuit to clean up the galaxy by battling Metroids, space pirates, and various other alien creatures who are causing problems across three familiar planets. This game differs from other Metroid Prime installments in its emphasis on teamwork and group-based shooting instead of exploration. Nintendo also removed the touchscreen-based elements of Metroid Prime Hunters and the scanning ability of Metroid Prime. Players can adopt several specialties depending on which weapons, including a healer weapon with heavy fire missiles, they choose to load out before each mission. Federation Force also includes an arena-style combat soccer mode called Blast Bowl. You get both in retail stores or the eShop for $39.99 or at Nintendo.com. The Galaxy-style 3DS from Nintendo. There's no shortage of consoles and gaming devices out there, but one of the newest, and in our opinion, the prettiest, is the Galaxy Blue 3DS XL, which Nintendo released in honor of the new planet scientists just discovered. Lovers of science, astronomy, or just really cool artwork will love this space-themed shimmery design. It's a limited edition, so you'll have to act quickly. With tons of family-friendly games, the Nintendo 3DS family is the best-selling video game system in the United States. 3DSs retail for about $199, and they're available at stores or at Nintendo.com. If you'd like to get reviews of more toys and games that you can do with your family, please check out ParentsAtPlay.com. Until next week, I'm Armin Broad. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.